You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. You end up with thousands and thousands of these views, which can be very difficult to manage, especially when the underlying sources change or the data in those sources change, requiring you to change some of the structure or the business rules change. Welcome, everyone. My name is Wayne Eckerson, and with me today is a longtime friend and colleague in the BI space, Stephen Dine. Steve is a BI and enterprise data consultant and industry thought leader who has extensive experience designing, delivering, and managing highly scalable and maintainable modern data architecture solutions. And that indeed is the topic of our conversation today. But a little bit more on Steve. Uh, he combines a strong business acumen with hands-on technical experience, and he is committed to providing value by helping companies transform their data assets into a competitive advantage. His experience spans healthcare, manufacturing, financial services, life sciences, and retail, and he is currently president at Data Source Consulting. And now Steve and I have known each other for many years, uh, mainly through our connections to uh, the Data Warehousing Institute, or TDWI. Um, where I think I recruited you to speak a few times and teach when I was a uh, ed director. And since then, we've just maintained contact and we always threaten to uh, go out cycling together. And someday we'll make that work. Right, Steve? Absolutely. So welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to talk about modern data architecture. And let me throw the first question at you um, that I get asked a lot, uh, which is when does a company know that it's time to modernize its data architecture? Are there any telltale signs? That's a great question, Wayne. And, and first, uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's a topic near and dear to my heart. And uh, so it's a great question. When is it time? You know, in my view, generally, it's when, when their current architecture doesn't meet their analytic and data management requirements. And, uh, and we see this a lot. It's, uh, you know, they have being uh, tasked with, with analyzing and, and storing multiple different types of data or data types. Uh, they may have image files, for example, which is, which is very common in healthcare. Uh, there may be uh, video files uh, as well as um, different file formats, uh, for example, like uh, within the structure, like a JSON format. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's one. Uh, second, around latency, you generally are seeing lower and lower latency requirements, meaning how fast the data is coming into the platform, requiring the data to be uh, to be not only uh, ingested but also analyzed. And uh, we see a lot of this with IoT data. And, uh, and I know we're, for example, in the healthcare space, uh, with home healthcare becoming a more critical, uh, lower cost alternative uh, within healthcare. We're going to see a lot more data coming in. Uh, in real time, be able to make decisions or notify or, or, or produce notifications from that data. We're obviously seeing IoT in a lot of different types of industries like manufacturing and logistics and, and many others. Uh, and lastly, you know, performance. And, and you know, a lot of people refer to, uh, you know, and say, well, when when's the right time for a modern architecture? Well, you know, a lot of people refer to volume. You know, and they say, well, how much, what's, what's the tipping point? How much? Which data do I need to have before I consider a modern architecture? And in my my view, it's not about the volume uh, per se, as far as how much data do I need to have and what's that number. 
It's really whether or not your existing platform can handle the volumes that you currently have. And uh, in some cases, you know, this you have organizations that you work with that have you know hundreds of terabytes and petabytes of data. Uh, in others, we have uh, much less, but they still have uh, sub-performance issues, and they can't solve for them. We have ones that are, you know, in, in the you know in the, in the small uh, single-digit terabyte range uh, that are producing very very complex analytics across uh, hundreds of variables, and their current platforms aren't able to handle that. So, as I said, I, I refer to it more from uh, performance perspective than maybe a specific volume. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint <clears throat> exactly, but uh, from folks I talk to, it seems like you kind of know it when you see it. Uh, you kind of feel that your architecture is out of date. As you say, it's not performing. Uh, the latency in getting data in is, is not what users, business users want. And uh, there's just all these different data types at large volume that, that it can't support. Um, uh, so if that's kind of what's driving people, what's pulling people, what are the hallmarks of a modern data architecture, in your opinion? Well, modern data architecture generally includes multiple platforms in, in today's world. And they include both relational and non-relational uh, types of technologies. And uh, secondly, it, you know, it's generally architected in a distributed nature. So we're leveraging uh, platforms that where there's multiple nodes and the data is spread through those nodes and then it's processed, uh, split up amongst those nodes. Uh, so generally there's some level of a distributed architecture. It may or may not involve cloud. Uh, in a lot of cases, people will assimilate modern architectures with cloud, but you can have a modern architecture and not be in the cloud per se. But lastly, it would, you know, in my view, it, it supports both analytic and operational type workloads. Now, we really started to, uh, to architect and, and, and collect requirements around enterprise data requirements, not just, uh, you know, at the data warehouse level. I consider the data warehouse, for example, to be that shovel at the end of the parade. You know, it collects all the data from all the different systems, and then we try and manage it at the end of its cycle. And, and, and from my perspective, to be successful today, you need to manage your data across the entire enterprise. And, you know, when we're looking at, you know, modern architectures, we're looking at how do we, how do we actually design so that we can support the data management requirements across the entire organization. And whether that's operational requirements within operational systems or data that's need to be, uh, to be moved or, or potentially integrated into an operational system. You know, MDM is a great example of where you know, it's a component, I would say, of a modern architecture. But in today's world, we need to ensure that the data is, is integrated across all the different operational systems if we want to move at real time uh, or at the speed of business, as I like to call it. But we're really addressing things from an enterprise perspective and so we have to support both the operational and analytic needs. And a lot of our customers, the, the BI organizations are being transformed you know, from just managing the analytics to also supporting these operational applications, whether they're web-based applications or they're, they're on-prem, non-web-based applications. 
And, uh, and those have different data management characteristics and requirements regard, with regard to how we support them. And our architectures and our modern architectures need to support not just you know, the, the data warehouse or the analytic requirements, but also uh, need to support those operational applications. All right, so let me unpack uh, that. There's a lot in there. So let me start with the uh, modern architecture has multiple platforms. It's distributed in nature. It's got multiple nodes. Are you talking about there like a grid environment, MPP environment, you know, something that's running on a cluster, whether, uh, you know, physically on disk or in memory or some combo? Or are you talking about, you know, data warehouse there, an MDM system there, a Hadoop over there? What do you mean by multiple platforms in distributed? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and I separate those two in a lot of contexts. So multiple platforms means I, I'm using technologies that meet specific workload requirements. And so I, I may use, for example, a, uh, a could be a, an analytic database, you know, that's uh, MPP to support uh, a large amount of volume and, and, and deep analytic type queries. Uh, but with structured data, uh, I may also include a what I consider sort of a non-relational platform, a NoSQL platform that uh, that's supporting a different type of of requirements, such as I may uh, have a lot of data that's coming in very quickly, um, and I need and I have a lot of uh, users or concurrency that's querying that uh, also very uh, in high volumes, and. Uh, I may not have a requirement where that data needs to be consistent. And so I, I, I might choose a, uh, a platform that uh, is not a relational database to support that requirement or those requirements. Also, maybe uh, you know, my, my data might be coming in more documents and I may need to search on those documents uh, as part of my, uh, as my, my consumer requirements. And you know, a lot of the relational platforms aren't necessarily great at that. Uh, they're good at storing it, but not necessarily searching within them uh, at high volume. And so uh, I might use multiple platforms. I likely will have multiple platforms to uh, to meet my different workload requirements. Okay. So, yeah. You at, just, so you look at the workload and then you match the right, as you call it, platform. I might call it database engine because <laughs> uh, all the examples you gave were you could call databases. Um, so you, mat you match the platform to the workload, which makes a lot of sense. Sure, but I also might have uh, a requirement that, that where I might use a, you know, a distributed in cache uh, type uh, system. And, and in some cases, uh, there are in memory uh, databases that I could leverage for that. In other cases, I may not use a database. I just might use a distributed cache. And, uh, and so I hate, that's why I, I start to, started to really refer to it as more as platforms versus databases. I find databases to be uh, somewhat limiting and confusing. Uh, some people like to call, for example, NoSQL data stores instead of databases. Right. Uh, but also once we start getting into things like in-memory caches, and, and also I might use object-based storage, uh, to not only store my data, but my query uh, from that from that storage uh, engine, and I and and now what do I call that? I'm not going to call it a database per se. 
So that's why I use the term platform. Okay, All right. Object stores, true. Um, distributed cache. I uh, just out of curious, what can you give an example of a distributed cache? Are you talking about a product or? Well, I mean, like, and there are different options in the market. Memcache is a is obviously one that is known, probably I would say the most right. well known, okay. at least in our circles. Good. All right, so I interrupted you. You're going to talk about distributed nature of things as well. Right. So distributed is, a, I suppose, a little bit different. It's you know, it, you know, my, I might have multiple platforms. Each one of those platforms may or may not be distributed. Um, and uh, and so you know, there's we could have be using an MPP platform which distributes the data across multiple nodes. Um, and uh, in general, you know, uh, systems like Teradata, or Redshift, or 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 Vertica, or that other MTPP platforms that uh, distribute data uh, generally have a leader node uh, and bring that data back to that leader node. You could also have a NoSQL distributed system like a, a Cassandra um, that works more in a bit of a quorum format. And so there's you know, distributed is essentially how the processing happens. Right. Um, you know, versus the platforms, which are the different technologies I might use. Okay, good. So the last thing to unpack is the analytics versus operations, and you kind of did that. But uh, I just want to follow up because I'm seeing a lot of consultancies getting brought in uh, by companies to take the output of the analytical process and insert it back into an operational application that's probably customer-facing, real-time. And uh, I think that's what you're referring to because that has huge impl implications for how you design the analytics or, or at least how you deploy them, right? It does, it, it, it does. And uh, there's, you know, we talk about operational versus analytic. There's there applications, um, you might have an analytic application or, or a, an operational application. And then there's sort of the workloads. And a lot of times we refer to you know, the workloads is being analytic versus operational. And, and generally the way I break that down is, is by the types of queries that are, are, uh, are submitted for, uh, for processing. So uh, I might have very high selectivity type of a query where I'm only looking to, to bring back data or analyze or look at data um, across, you know, very few rows or, or small data sets. And, um, you know, that has a different workload. That's a different workload requirement from an analytic one in which you know, I may be looking across an entire data set uh, or many more of the rows or much more of the data. And, uh, and I also might, in that analytic uh, uh, query, it may do what we call multi-pass where you know, I'm actually doing anal analytics uh, across, you know, I might, narrow the, the data set, um, you know, from across the, uh, the, the entire um, amount of data that's, that's in purview or, and then I might do another uh, uh, query on that result set itself, but it might be uh, all part of the same query. So uh, it might break that down into, uh, or might be submitted as part of the same query, even though it's, really right. two different queries, but, yeah. uh, you know, those are different analytic requirements. And so, you know, people ask a lot, a lot of times, well, what's, what's the difference? Like, can I, 
like I've, I've been talking to this vendor or I've been looking at this platform and uh, it says it can support both. Well, there's a lot of factors that go into how well it supports both. Uh, you know, one is you know, how mature the workload management is within the platform itself. For example, when you know the, the requests are made, can it distinguish between a, an operational and a or high selectivity and a low selectivity type of a query, and then understand how long it's going to take to return amongst all the queries that it's been submitted, and what's the right order to then execute. You know, in in workload uh, management uh, that's immature, uh, it will it might just do something like a round robin where it's just you know it takes the request and then it just uh, services the request in a round round robin type uh, format or order, uh, which is you know essentially just bringing data, uh, doing the requests as they're coming in, keeping track of as they're coming in. Um, but ones that are more mature will actually understand the costs of each of these queries and then balance them accordingly to ensure that they're all returned in the least amount of time. And uh, very immature systems like a Hadoop or Cassandra that it doesn't really handle workload very well, um, or even a Redshift isn't necessarily as mature as a Teradata. So you need to understand those parts and then those pieces to it, but then also understand the actual technology itself. For example, if I'm uh, using very large block sizes, for example, like a Hadoop, you might use very large block sizes uh, to scan all the data uh, in those blocks because it's sequential in nature. Um, or I might use an analytic database that has much larger block sizes than an operational type database or a transactional type database where the block sizes are much smaller. Well, well what difference does that make? Well, it's, you know, when we start talking about uh, bring taking the data off the disk uh, and the latencies involved, then uh, obviously if I'm accessing a much larger data set uh, than uh, in my query, then having larger block sizes helps because in one operation I can just read all that data from the disk. Whereas uh, if I'm only after a small amount of that data, then uh, having smaller block sizes makes more sense. So I you know there's, there's a lot of factors, I won't get into all of them, but that, that determine whether or not the actual platform will support those workloads which and which type of workloads it supports best. And the bigger challenge is around mixed workloads when I have you know, a lot of uh, smaller type queries or transactional workloads that are, are, are uh, you know, intermixed with large analytic workloads. Yeah, well that, that, that makes sense, uh, certainly within a single platform, but we had talked about how mo many of these modern architectures are multiple platforms or multi-platform, right? So do you need some kind of a query manager to field queries uh, to the right platform uh, and shield that from the user or the application that's generating queries? Or is it more of a more of an orchestration scenario where you've got all these different platforms doing different types of work and you just string the output from one as the input to another. You, know, you can do both. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, likely, you're likely to have both. Uh, you'll have some orchestration, especially when you're, you're looking at processing the data. Um, but we are starting to see you know, a lot more interest in, you know, in the area of sort of data virtualization, I'll call it, even though, you know, some of the newer platforms don't use that terminology, 
but you know platforms like like or like and I don't want to now confuse things by calling them platforms, but technologies like Dremio, uh, which is like a, a federated query engine, uh, help shield those users from uh, you know where the source or what platform that data is on, uh, or you know a, a, a more classic. Uh, data virtualization to like a Dremio or a composite, or excuse me, uh, a Denodo or a composite. Yeah, let me ask you about those types of tools because I get asked all the time about them. I think uh, a lot of companies see them almost as uh, kind of the magic elixir, right? You've got a complex legacy environment with data all over the place. Let's just put one of these virtualization tools in there and have a common data service. So no matter who you are, you just query one place and get the data no matter where it is. But um, And I know those tools have been out there for a long time. <laughs> They've evolved a lot. But what would you say the role of those data virtualization tools are in a modern data architecture today? Well, they're great at abstracting the user from the underlying platforms. And, uh, and also, you know, each of these different platforms can be more challenging and some less challenging to use for you know your, your business user um, and so it abstracts it it allows a uh, business user to have one interface in all these different systems and generally speaking there'll be some sort of a you know a sql layer uh, that will allow them to have one uh, one type of, uh, uh, of of interaction with the platforms versus knowing all the different uh, either either languages or methodologies from which to extract data from these these platforms. So um, so they can be great at, at at insulating the end user from you know, the complexity of all these different platforms. Also, it, it, it's great at being able to uh, to create structure around sometimes less structured data. Uh, you know, data that's in files that isn't necessarily hasn't been. Uh, you know, it makes it a little harder to join that data together. Um, but also joining data across different platforms, uh, you can do that ahead of time. And so it, it can be very uh, powerful and, you know, in a, in a, in a great, uh, uh, you know, art piece or a great tool in your, in your tool belt for, uh, for your end users. But, you know, the challenge with these tools uh, can be, you know, around performance. You know, performance, whenever we talk about querying data from multiple different platforms and bring them together, the performance can suffer. Um, and also the maturity of the tool matters. So some of the, these data virtualization or some, some are calling them data federation tools again. Uh, you know, some have cost optimizers, some don't. Uh, some do a lot of caching of the data ahead of time uh, to speed that up versus going out to each platform and getting the data and bringing it back. Uh, each time, and some don't. Uh, it, that can depend on the real-time needs of of your users. You know, how fresh does the data need to be? If I have to cache that data you know, multiple times throughout the data, not only does it have an impact on the actual source from which it's getting the data, but also uh, it slows, you know, contends, creates contention with those that are you know, using the platform to query the pool, query the the, the data. Um, but you know, we're the real challenge comes in is managing these platforms because uh, they become very, uh, very messy very quickly. Uh, you know, the, a lot of the end user desires around self-service and being able to, you know, manage the joins and manage, uh, you know, bring in 
you know, external data on their own and, and be able to create structure around that to be able to, to query it. Uh, so they want the self-service, but, uh, you know, as you, you allow your end users into these platforms and they create you know, these views of these platforms, you end up with thousands and thousands of these views, which can be very difficult to manage, especially when the underlying sources change or the data in those sources change, requiring you to change some of the structure or the business rules change. Uh, you know, the more places where that are affected by those changes, or the more views that are affected, the more uh, views that have to be changed. And so, you know, managing these, these, these tools can be obviously a, a big challenge. And so you have to have some standardization and some structure around these tools to ensure that they can, you know, they're, they're effective. Otherwise, uh, they can become a swamp, just like, you know, we sometimes here in data lakes. Yeah. So it sounds like data virtualization is a good idea, but might be more tactical than strategic, more supplemental than fundamental to your data architecture. So no, I would say it's a, it can be, it's a very strategic component of your data architecture. Um, you can implement a tool in a tactical nature uh, to solve some specific immediate problems, for example, a departmental problem, but uh, you do need to have a strategic approach if you're going to uh, make it enterprise-wide. Right. Okay, well, let, let's, let's keep moving on here. Um, you know, if someone is thinking about modernizing a data architecture, what are the major pitfalls or landmines that they need to avoid um, either up front or during implementation? Wayne, you know, I generally find that uh, you know, the, the pitfalls that most organizations or many that we, we work with or start working with run into you know, are first you know, looking to implement uh, a modern architecture without a business case. And uh, you know, it becomes a pure IT project. And you know, while IT needs to solve for some of the challenges that we encounter today, talk about the first question around you know, when's it time to modernize, and the truth is that you know, getting the business on these new, new platforms requires some incentive from the business side. And also, there needs to be a justification to ensure that they participate you know, in, the, in that project. And, and so there really should be a strong business case around it. Uh, secondly, is, is you know, what I call is making decisions based on technology bias. And uh, I see it a lot. I see a lot of organizations you know, choosing technologies based off of something that within the organization they want to learn, uh, or you know, maybe there's an architect or or a, like a solution architect that's making these decisions, or even just the general staff on the ground that just recently went to a, a Strata conference or some conference where you know they they came across some technologies that they really wanted to learn, or they may feel as though you know, some of these technologies are more have higher demand in the market. And, uh, and so they want to learn that. And that's great. We want our, our people all learning new technologies, but it isn't necessarily the reason uh, of making the decision of which technology to go with or which platform to go with. And, and so that really needs to be based on you know, the decisions we've, we've talked about earlier. But uh, the, you know, making, you've got to be always on the lookout for technology bias. Okay, so the third. You know, pitfall to avoid major pitfall is is not doing a proof of concept. And you know, if you see me speak at any of the conferences over the last probably 
you know, three or four years, it's something that I heavily uh, recommend. And, you know, when we're implementing these modern architectures, and a lot of times they include you know, newer technologies, uh, we need to make sure that they work and work not just from the perspective of, of that, you know, the, you have so many bugs that you can't implement them, but also that they're actually solving for the problem that you're, you're, you're trying to solve for. And, uh, and so, you know, bring in you know, sample data, make sure you, your POC include business end users in that POC uh, to make sure that, as I mentioned, that you're solving for the problem you originally tried to solve for. And so uh, that's the third pitfall. And, um, you know, it's those three that, you know, that, that I see as, as being the you know, top ones that uh, you really need to avoid when, you know, when modernizing your architecture. Steve, that's great. Uh, well, listen, we've kind of run out of time today, uh, but I think we should bring you back on and talk about cloud architectures. That's a huge issue. I know you're doing a lot of work migrating people to the cloud. So I want to thank you for your time and your insights, and um, we'll get you back again. Sounds great. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.